Would you just put your hand or both hands on your heart? Father, I just pray for every person here, Lord, for what we're getting ready to talk about. Father, we ask you for ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive. And Lord, even Jesus, even even you said, my doctrine is not my own, but I received it from my Father. Lord, we, I pray that we would receive sound doctrine from our Father this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, if you believe it, say amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you, Rebecca. And would you take your Bible, would you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm excited about what God's getting ready to do here this morning. I want to read, this is a familiar verse to many of you. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, I don't know what it was like for you. How many of you are saved in here? You've given your life to the Lord. How many of you cannot be honest? Raise your hands. Okay. All right. Some of you aren't raising your hand. So, all right. So, I don't know what it was like for you, but when I got born again, when I came and I made that decision, I answered the altar call and I prayed to receive Jesus. Actually, for me, it was at my kitchen table with my mom. She uh, had learned about evangelism and she practiced on us. And so we all got born again from her practicing. And I was basically scared of hell. So when I got born again, I was told two things. One is that my sins were forgiven. Secondly, that I would go to heaven one day when I died. How many of you were told the same thing when you got born again? Yeah. Okay. So I want to read another verse over in Romans 13 with that in mind. Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says this, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh that you should fulfill its lusts. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh that you should fill that you should fulfill its lusts. <clears throat> for me, <clears throat> I needed truth. I needed to know the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and it's the truth that will make you free. It's only the truth that you know that sets you free, right? It's not just any truth. It's, it's the truth that you know, and it's the truth from his word. And so for me, so I was told that my sins would be forgiven, that I would go to heaven one day, but nobody told me that I was supposed to put anything on. Nobody told me that I was supposed to put him on, on the, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I, flo- I focused on, I focused on um, that part of the verse, actually, which was make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And so I, I began to cut things off and I began to, you know, do that stuff instead of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like I bypassed the most important part. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so nobody told me that. And so here's what happened is I lived sin conscience. I continued to live sin conscience. It's like I walked into the tabernacle to the altar of sacrifice, which is what represents the cross. I would come to the cross. I would repent. I would ask for forgiveness of sins. I would recommit my life to him. And then I would turn back around and leave the tabernacle and go out with the same identity. Sin consciousness. I didn't know I was supposed to put something on. 
And by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, what you do is you put on sun consciousness instead of sin consciousness. You put him on and then you begin to live according to his will instead of your own dictates. You're no longer living according to the flesh. You're living now according to the spirit. And so then you begin to look different. Oh, like the children of Israel. You remember they came out of Egypt. What happened? Egypt didn't come out of them. They still had the same identity out there in the wilderness. And so what happened was, in my life, I kicked around in the wilderness like the children of Israel did for a while. Because my identity was wrong. My identity was still that sin consciousness. Oh, Because, see, heaven, heaven is supposed to come into me, not just me go to heaven when I die. It's supposed to come to earth. It's supposed to live inside of you. This is why Jesus said, pray on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Okay. So many Christians, they identify uh, or they define eternal life by uh, this destination, that it's heaven. That one day, oh, in, 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 the, in, the, in the by and by, oh, let me tell you, things will be wonderful. One of these days, I'll, let, I'll be able to leave this planet and I won't have to put up with anybody anymore. Life will get better. I won't have to go through trials. and tib- I'm sorry, there's people in heaven. Why do you think it's going to be? You're still going to be around people. Okay, so, so but it, if, here's the thing, is if eternal life is the goal, if that becomes our goal, the destination of heaven becomes our goal, then we'll live our entire life and we'll go to church, but we'll never become the church. I'll never step into the true identity of who God called me to be because I look at eternal life as it's a destination one day that I'm going to go to. And so this is why we have many Christians that look exactly like the world. That's why the divorce rate is the same in the, in the church as it is out in the world. That's why we get, we get, we get as angry as our unsaved friends can get. And they see your life, or they see our life, sorry, I mean to put it on you, but it, it, it's true. They see our life and they don't see a difference and they're like, why should I get born again? It's not any different over there. But it's what we're supposed to put on that revamps our life, that makes all things new, like Second Corinthians talked about. All right. Thanks for your excitement about this message. All right. First Peter, turn over to First Peter. I want to read um, out of chapter four. First Peter, chapter four, verse eighteen says this, and this has to do with what I was talking about with Christians. If we don't look different and we don't act any different than the world, who, are, you know, why would they want to get saved? Why would they want to get saved? This is what First Peter four eighteen says. It says, "Now, if the righteous are scarcely saved." You could use the word barely. Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? See, if I can't find it in Jesus, then why is it permissible for me? All right, now turn over to John 17. Let's go there. Let's see if if I haven't offended you. No, I'm teasing. I'm not going to say that. John chapter 17. Jesus said this in verse 3. He said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. 
Eternal life is not a prayer that you pray. It's not a destination that you one day go. It's to know Him. It's to know the Father. That's eternal life. In Matthew 18, 11, Jesus said this, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What's He talking about? Something was lost back in the garden. It's when Adam ate of the tree that he was not supposed to eat of. When that happened, he lost something that Jesus came to pay the price to get back. What was it? It was the image of God. You and I are created in his image, in his likeness. Amen? Uh, so let's read 2 Corinthians 5.17 again in light of that. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ is the key. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And I don't care if it's three minutes ago. If it's behind you, it's in the past. If you've passed it, it's in the past. It's no longer in front of you, right? Even if it was 30 seconds ago. My daughter used to say, oh, dad, that's so 30 seconds ago. Well, it's in the past. (laughs) And she's not wrong. That's in the past, right? So my identity in him comes from him. Identity comes from the father. That's why fathers are so important in kids' lives, because the identity comes from the father. And so my dad, um, one of the identity character traits, I guess, I got from my dad was, I like cars. I like classic cars. Yeah, and my dad, my dad, he was a, a, he used to take us down to the drag strip, the Tulsa Speedway. And he would time out his cars when I was a kid. He had a 1971 Dodge Challenger. And then he had a, I think it was a 63. I don't know, Mom, if you know or not. But it was a Dodge Dart. It was about a 63 Dodge Dart. It was black. It had the white vinyl top. You know, it had the long throw. Three, I think it was a three-speed. And it had a 302 in it. And when my dad would fire it up in the mornings, the whole neighborhood woke up. Everybody, that was how everybody knew, I think, to get up was my dad's car. But anyway, but dad had such a liking of that car that I, I clung to that past, that history with him. And so when I got old enough and Nicole and I had been married a while and I, I was really getting into classic cars, I found a 1963 Dodge Dart that was what car guys call a cream puff. Because, I mean, it's low miles and it all original. And it was a beautiful car. And so I was going to buy it and make it my daily driver. I didn't realize at the time how impractical that sounded. but Because it sounds really impractical now. But at that time, I was just excited to find the car. So I showed my dad this 1963 Dodge Dart. I said, Dad, I'm going to buy this car. And he said, he goes, well, what's your plan? Are you going to make that your daily driver? And I said, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to own it, man. I'm going to, I'm going to drive that thing. I don't own a classic car just to park it in the garage. I want to drive it. And dad said, well, he goes, son, you realize that's going to drive like an old car, right? He said, for instance, it doesn't have, you know, fuel ignition. It's, it's a carburetor. So it may not want to start in the morning, you know. And he said, and, and, it, and the steering is going to be really loose. It doesn't have the same suspension as the new cars. You're going to be all over the road trying to keep it on the road. He said, and, you know, let's... And there were other things, and I forget. But what happened was he burst my bubble. I didn't want to have this car anymore. I was like, now I know why people put those in their third car garage. 
And they drive them on nice days because when you break down, or if you break down, it's a beautiful day, you know, you could, you could get it taken care of. And, but what was happening for me was I was clinging to that memory of my dad. So it was creating an identity in me. See, why do people cling to the past? It's because that's where they draw their identity from, whether good or bad. That's where you draw identity from, whether whether it's good or bad. So I want to read to you the Passion Translation, what they say about this commentary on 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it has to do with what's being made new. And this is what they said. We are not reformed or simply refurbished. We are made completely new by our union with Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You're not a refurb. You're brand new. When you put him on, when you come into him and you put him on, you're brand new. Oh, that's a blessing. So what I had to learn was that truth had to be the only thing that could tell me what my identity was. That was the truth I had to come into. And each of us have to come into as Christians. Because trials are shouldn't be what determine how you are or who you are. Trials shouldn't. I mean, think about Jesus. What kind of trials did he walk through? Nobody liked him. He He's coming to his very creation. He created the people that are making fun of him and ridiculing him, lying between their teeth about him. The very people that hurt him the most are the people that he created and gave this whole thing to. How do you think he felt? How well do you think that went over with him? Jesus said this, though, in John 16, 33. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation. That's self-explanatory, right? You're going to have tribulation. Stuff is going to happen to you. He said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What he's doing is he's showing us how to live in the midst of trouble and not allow it to dictate who we are or how we are. Do I need to say that again? Because tribulation should not be dictating how you are. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did God come down and put the fire out? You know what? I'm just going to put the fire out. No. No, the fire wasn't the problem. What they believed can become the problem. But what they did was they chose to believe in God. They chose to risk everything in that belief. And then the fire was not a problem. Because now they're stepping in. They're being thrown into the fire. The guys that are throwing them into the fire are dying. But they're walking around the fire with the Son of God. <laughs> and then they come out of the fire and everything is, you know, the ropes are burned off, but they still have their clothing. They don't even smell like smoke. Mm. Wow. Jesus did not come to remove your tribulations and your trials. He didn't come to make your life better. Although your life will be better in him. This is why Jesus said, he said, cast your care upon me. Cast your care. All right. He said, he said, um, take, get rid of this yoke. 
take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So why is he asking us to put his yoke on us? Because he gets to steer the yoke. He gets to steer our life. This is important. Phil, you don't understand what I've been through. I don't think that's the problem. I think you don't remember what he's been through for you. You don't know how much they hurt me. You don't know how much Jesus hurt for you then. I mean, we could go back and forth on this all day long. And you would lose. Because it's Jesus. It's not me. It's not that I'm a great debater. It's that Jesus went through everything for you. So that you didn't have to be affected and changed by what you go through and become that identity. Mm. See, we were born into a lie. Matthew sixteen twenty four says this. It says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I asked Dan Moeller when he was here, I said, what's the biggest problem you see in Christianity? He said, it's self-centeredness. He said, it's the biggest problem in humanity. Because what happens is men and women wake up every day to live for themselves. And it's not hard to live for yourself. All you have to do is go by your feelings and just do whatever you feel like doing. It is so easy to walk in the flesh. That's why we default to that. But what did Jesus say about us? He said, anyone who desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself. Deny himself. <laughs> so the biggest problem in, on the planet is self. It's not who's president. It's not racial conflict. It's not the Middle East. It's self. Oh, why is that a big deal? Because if you're selfless, when you are selfless, sin has nowhere to land. Sin has nowhere to land. Oh, man, you can live by the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Flesh doesn't have an input when you're being selfless. Why? Because you're too busy thinking about other people. You're too busy thinking about how I can please him. And he keeps you busy. I find when I used to get in trouble was when I had nothing going on. And I had a lot of excess time to just sit around and do nothing. All right. He was beaten beyond recognition so that you could receive your identity in him. So, Rebecca, I'm going to ask you to come because I, I just want you to help me with this part. Because <clears throat> I felt to share something with you I've never shared with anybody. And it has to do with what I'm talking about, identity. And uh, it's not easy to share. But when the Lord asked me to share it, I just went, wow. Okay. I'll share it. Because uh, I was born again at the age of six. That was when I first learned about Jesus and who he was, and that I could have a relationship with him. And so at six years old, I was in kindergarten at that time because my birthday lands in March. And so I was five, you know, six in kindergarten. And at six years old, I had an abrupt awakening happen in my life at school. And... I don't blame the little girl. It was a six-year-old little girl. I don't blame her because something had awakened in her. 
that didn't need to be awakening and, and, and it's Eros, Eros love, physical love. And uh, what the enemy likes to do is he likes to attach something to you early. He's not omnipresent, so he can't be around you all the time and check on you and make sure that you're, you know. And so what he tries to do is put a hook in your mouth so then he can just put the fishing pole in the holder and then all he has to do is glance back and make sure the fish is on the line. And so that's what he tried to do. And so, and so this little girl pulled me into a, uh, into a dark hallway and thank God a teacher came in um, and but the sad part was she covered for us I mean it's like she had done this before it was like she was a pro at it and I was like and I was shocked and scared shivering and I ran back I, I went back to she goes she goes you, you two go sit down and I went back to my desk and I I don't ever remember the girl after that I don't remember I don't remember in class or anywhere and I was sitting at my desk just freaking out <clears throat> and so what happened was well several things you, you know that verse in Song of Solomon where the Shunammite she gives warning she says don't awaken love I charge you by the gazelles don't awaken love before it's time how many of you know it's six years old is not an appropriate time for Eros love to be awakened you know phileo love yeah <laughs> brotherly love you know and so and so now this is awakened and so and so now here's how perverted the enemy is the devil he's so perverted one is that he convinced somebody to do that to her so that it was awakened in her and then used her to awaken me in it and then um then on top of that, uh, he accused me of it by bringing guilt, shame, and condemnation and making me feel bad and making me feel like I was the reason this happened. I mean, that's how perverted he is. He just doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't fight fair. <clears throat> so anyway, I carried that guilt, that shame everywhere I went. My, my wife likes to say, wherever you go, there you are. You know, because we, we move places and we quit things and we jump out of relationships to escape us when we're the problem. Because if you don't take care of what's going on in here, then this won't change. I found this to be true in my life, that when I take care of what's going on in here, everything else out here changes. The way I view people, the way I feel about people, the way I think about people. And so I dealt with this. And so what happened was, you know, in fifth grade, I thought, I, there's something weird going on with me because I like girls already. And all of my friends, they still think girls have cooties. And I'm in the fifth grade and got a girlfriend already. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Why come these guys don't like girls, you know, yet? And, uh, and so, I mean, I, I dealt with that. And it just... it. That identity came with me. So fast forward. I, I marry a wonderful lady. God picks out a beautiful lady for me to marry. And I'm so thankful. 
because Nicole is the kind of person that tells you how it is. She talks straight to me. She may not talk as straight to you, but or be nicer about it anyway. But you know, I get, I get the, I get the truth, hard truth sometimes. But I'm, I'm thankful for it because here's what happened. <clears throat> I began to look back at that as I began to learn and grow. I began to look back at that point in my life and point back to it and use it as a crutch and justification and my excuse as to why I was the way I was. Yeah, because I would just point back. I could just point back to this point in my life and just say, well, that's why I struggle in this area is because of what happened here. It's, it's so wrong. You, you're never going to get free that way. Never going to get free. And so Nicole, she, after two, I think a couple of times of me making reference to that, Nicole had a hard truth and she said, Honey, how long are you going to allow that to be your identity? How long are you going to let what happened to you decide who you are? Yeah. I said, no more. I never pointed back to that again. See, I didn't need you to lay hands on me and do a three-hour exorcism to pull that out of me. I needed truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And that's what happened was the truth of that made me free. And so I, when the Lord said he wanted me to share this, I was like, oh, my word. Because I have a question for you this morning. What's determining your identity? What is it that's determining your identity? Are you like me? Are you pointing back to a hurt, a pain, a disappointment, a discouragement, somebody that took advantage of you. Because if you're carrying that, then you're going to be like I was and you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Because I did. I wandered in the wilderness a long time. And I let that become my identity. And I kept coming back to the cross and I couldn't step into sonship all the time that the king is living in the castle and has a room prepared for me to come and to stay in now. And no, I was choosing to live as a pauper over here in the bad part of town. And live in sin consciousness. When sun consciousness was what God wanted me to have. And he's saying, come on, I've got a room for you. I want to I wanna, I wanna clothe you with new garments. I want to put a ring on your finger. I want to put new sandals on your feet. And I was just like, what? Really? I just carried that for so long. And uh, I heard Bill Johnson say this. He He said this about insecurity. He said insecurity is just misplaced security. It was, I know it's not probably exact, but that was... And this is what I discovered, that sin consciousness is misplaced identity. It was misplaced identity in my life. And 
anyway. So when I grabbed a hold of that truth and I was able to step into sun consciousness and step out of sin consciousness, now I've been able to live much more aware and have not allowed sin against me to produce sin in me. I'm not saying it didn't hurt. It did. It hurts when people say mean things about you, especially things that aren't true. It hurts when people don't treat you the way, but that should not change your sonship and your daughtership in God. Just because I'm, I've been hurt doesn't mean I have to live hurt. Just because I've been betrayed doesn't mean I have to live betrayed now. It's not easy to look at that person and smile, but I, I give it my best genuine smile. It's not easy to see people that have hurt you. But I'm, I, I'm not hurt by them. I'm only hurt by them if I decide to receive that hurt. But as a son, as a daughter, what happens is I love him more. When I love him, I'm, I'm going after what he wants me to go after. I'm going after pleasing him. I'm, I'm enjoying mercy and grace and love and forgiveness that he's given to me. And so I don't need you to like me. Nicole, when we were dating, she came out of a really rough relationship. You were how close to the altar? Three months from the altar. She called it off. Oh, it, it was ugly. And, but she came out of it unscathed, in joy, and then Phil showed up. And I started writing letters to her. Her sister wouldn't give me her address. I had to blackmail a friend to get her address. It was, it was Jadine. She gave me her address. Anyway. Well, no, that was your number. That was your phone number. I got her address out of the ORU handbook. But anyway. And so I was writing, I was writing her. And, and I remember Nicole said this to me. She said, I like me. I don't need you to like me. I remember that came out one time in, in conversation. And I was so wowed by that. Because here's a person that is stepped so fully into her daughtership into living in the castle and living for the king that she doesn't care if I'm the one pursuing her. I want to marry her. She doesn't, she doesn't need me to like her. That's rightly placed security. That's rightly placed identity. But when we're easily hurt by people, it's time to step back and take a look at our identity. God, why, did that, why does that hurt me so much? because I know I'm talking to some people in here and not just one or two of you I'm talking to a bunch of people in here that I knew that I knew that I knew that God wanted me to share this story because we've all walked through this we've all walked through this but it's time to lay it down and here's the good news it doesn't have to be a long process we don't have to get all snotty on the carpet and it's it's a matter of knowing the truth and allowing the truth to make you free. To where you decide like I did, I'm not, I'm never going there again. I pray for that girl. I pray for her. 
but I'm not hurt by it. And I don't live that way anymore. I'm not living sin conscious and wondering, oh, God's just waiting for me to mess up so he can... That's not the kind of God we serve. That's why he brought you into sonship. And all the time, when you come into the tabernacle and you come to that cross, that altar of sacrifice, God is on the other side saying, come on in. Come on in. Don't stop there. Come on in. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on. It's time not to just treat salvation like we just prayed a prayer and we get to go to heaven now, but it's time to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time... This is your day. This is your day. So here's what I want to do. Here's what I felt to do. If that's you and you were me, because that was me. And it may not, every situation looks differently. May not have been a six, six year old little girl. Might have been somebody else, you know, or it might have been something else. But whatever it is, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to step out in the aisle, come down here, kneel at the altar, and we're going to get all of us together, we're going to give it to God. And, and we're going to get up from this altar, and we're going to walk away changed, and never point back to that again. If that's you, would you step out of your seat and come down and join me?